0: Welcome to the Deep Space Podcast. I'm Kristen Kapovic, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Jamil Castillo. We're with the Coalition for Deep Space Exploration, a space advocacy group based in Washington, D.C. This week, we're bringing you the fourth episode of our podcast series, Leadership in Space. What does it take to be a leader in the space field? Throughout the series, we're speaking with some of the people guiding different generations of professionals as space activities unfold in a rapidly evolving environment. But more than that, we want to talk about what being a leader looks like, especially when you work in such a visionary field.
1: Hi, Jamila here. Today, we welcome Frank Slazer to the Deep Space Podcast. Frank Slazer is a new president and CEO of the Coalition for Deep Space Exploration. He brings nearly 40 years of aerospace industry and space policy experience to his role. His most recent position prior to starting at the Coalition was as Vice President, Strategy and Business Development for Civil, National Security, and Commercial Space Programs at Aerojet. Frank also previously served as Vice President, Space Systems, for the Aerospace Industries Association, and worked at Northrop Grumman Corporation as Capture Lead. Slazer has served in leadership roles supporting the International Space Station, the Space Shuttle, and the Delta Launch Vehicles with Boeing and United Launch Alliance. In addition to his work in industry, Slazer has experience working on Capitol Hill, has served on the Space Transportation Committee of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, and also as president of the American Astronautical Society, which named him as a fellow in 2013. His education includes degrees in aerospace engineering, political science, and business administration. Frank, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you very much.
1: So, Frank, you are our new president and CEO here at the coalition. So I'm curious, how did you get involved in the space industry? And then I would like you to tell us why you decided to take on this new challenge.
2: Yeah, so I guess I'll have to confess to being a baby boomer. And so, uh, like a lot of people in my generation, my earliest memories uh, are from the Apollo era. Space was always a passion of mine. And I really became convinced, probably even in grade school, that space is our future as a nation and also as a species. And so I pursued you know, my academic career, kind of mirrored that, got the aerospace engineering degree. And then one of the other things I did, which was a little unusual because I had an interest in politics and fascinated by the political process, I got a political science degree because I kind of thought space and politics are kind of intertwined, especially going back to the Apollo example. So then, after my, my years in industry, um, I you know a lot of that time was in Washington. And um, I really kind of went back and forth across uh, country six times in my career, and excuse me, five times in my career. And then I was out here back with California working at Airjet Rocketdyne. And I thought about retiring. And actually, I did retire from Airjet Rocketdyne. Um, and I had a great six months of uh, hiking, skiing, and COVID safe outdoor activities. But I also decided I'd go back to work if I found something I really thought was worthwhile and important. I knew the CDSE uh, CDSE job was open, but I didn't want to relocate again for the sixth time across country. And then fortunately, thanks to the COVID experience that we've all had these last several months, uh, the people people working from home successfully, uh, the board's leadership uh, at CDSE uh, became convinced they could hire nationally. And when that happened, I applied. Uh, During my career, we've had know, three major efforts to move human exploration out beyond Earth orbit, and I sincerely believe Artemis can and will succeed, but I'm also concerned that if it does not succeed, while we as a species will continue to explore and move out into the universe, we as a nation could go the way of Portugal in the age of exploration. They were an early achiever that faded out. I'm convinced that that will not happen in the United States, and I'm convinced also that CDSE can be part of making sure that does not happen.
1: Thank you very much for sharing that with us and I would like you to now kind of expand on what you said and and narrow down though on your vision for the coalition or or CDSC moving forward. Uh, Why is this organization important and how do you see it changing in the future?
2: The Coalition for Deep Space Exploration is going to be the preeminent industry advocate for sustained human space exploration space science and space technology leadership in the United States or by the United States. Uh, We are reconstituting ourselves, and this is based on the judgment made by the board, which I thought was a terrific idea, uh, as a lobbying trade association. And and I'm really proud to say that I'm building on success at CDSE. Mary Lynn Dittmar, my predecessor, uh, took it from literally nothing in the last six years to being a respected industry voice. And now we really need to build on that beginning and aim even higher. To my mind, this is one thing that people, when they often think about what is lobbying, they think of people walking around suitcases full of money. It's not that, it's it's an opportunity on the other hand to take strong advocacy positions in support of both space programs and our members and in the industry. Also wanna focus on the importance of a healthy competitive space industrial base that we will need for future success. And then, you know, paraphrasing uh, FDR in Washington, nothing is an accident. If something happens, it was planned. Or if you want to look at it another way, a more common way of thinking it, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. We've decided to become a much more active advocate on behalf of space and our members. And bigger picture, I hope eventually we're going to morph into something like NDIA, the Air Force Association of the American Legion, a strong advocate outside of government for the policies, programs, and budgets needed for long-term national success and exploration. No NASA administrator, for example, can ask for more money than OMB allows to be put in the president's budget. We don't have that constraint. Similarly, no company wants to maybe tell NASA that some approach they're taking doesn't seem to make the best sense for the industry. I think CDSE can take that uh, opportunity to help educate uh, people on the impact on the industry. And so in both of those ways, I think we can serve a role that that is uh, unique and also very strong for our members and and strong for the nation's space program.
1: Well, and the team is here to work with you and and take on these new challenges.
2: And and they have been doing a terrific job.
1: I want to
0: transition, since this is our Leadership in Space series, we've been talking with a lot of well-known leaders in our industry about what leadership really looks like. So can you tell us what your leadership style is like? And as a follow-up to that, do you have any advice that you'd give to aspiring leaders?
2: Yeah, I guess I'd characterize my style as collaborative and inclusive, but decisive. I, I kind of recognize, I've long recognized, I don't have all the answers. And so I try to seek out and incorporate inputs from my team. But at some point you've got to make a decision and execute accordingly. I find it's especially helpful to be open to ideas who are different from you. It helps avoid groupthink and improves creativity. A number of years ago when I was at AIA, I had a younger employee who had an idea to help, sp- help the NASA budget by putting a commercial for NASA, if you will, actually for exploration programs, in movie theaters. And I thought that was crazy. I mean, he wanted, there was a Star Trek movie that was coming out, was a, the reboot of Star Trek uh, a few years back. And he wanted to put up a, you know, a trailer in advance of that that would get people to support NASA and its funding for exploration to make that audience realize that these types of programs are happening. Well, it sounded like a great idea, but how were we going to afford that? We didn't have anywhere near kind of the budget that we would need for that. He also had a great creative idea let's go out and actually crowdsource this. And so we did, we actually raised, we were looking to raise like 32,000. We had um, you know, roles from NASA of various exploration programs that were underway at the time. And we had um, uh, a voice actor from the, the uh, Transformers, so Optimus Prime, who was willing to volunteer his time to narrate the, the, uh, the text of this. We came up with about a 30 minute run of a clip and we placed it in over 50 theaters nationwide. We hit every state in the nation. Uh, And got a lot more attention, actually, by raising the money. The money got the attention of uh, a lot of the media at the time because, for instance, about 40% of the money came from overseas. People overseas were so excited about NASA and human exploration of space that they were donating to us to help promote the cause of the United States going in space exploration. It was a tremendous success. But again, it's something that I never would have thought of myself. And it turned out to be a great success by somebody who brought in a new perspective on things like crowdsourcing that I never would have thought of previously. And the other thing I'd say is really got to and for new uh, leaders, I'd say really got to recognize that you don't have all the answers and that the world is rarely linear. Things are always in flux. And, uh, and the phrase I always like is Semper Gumby, always be flexible. It's a good motto. If you look at history, you can find some examples. You know, often now you see people criticizing the president, President Biden for something he might have done back in the 90s. Or in the 50s, uh, Richard Nixon was a very strong anti-communist congressman and later senator and, and vice president, and yet he was the one that opened up China. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt ran in 1932 on a platform that was gonna balance the budget to try to end the depression, which is exactly what modern economics would tell you not to do. And so for all of these examples, these leaders are people who came into a situation with a certain perspective, but changed as circumstances changed, as, as as their understanding changed. The last thing I'd say is you got to really avoid analysis paralysis. Not making a decision is de facto making a decision, but one that you're not in control of. And so those are, I guess, my tips there. Be flexible and, and by all means, make a decision and move forward.
0: Now, certainly in the space industry, which is so rapidly evolving and changing, it's very important, as you mentioned, for a leader to be able to pivot quickly. Are there any other ways that you think being a leader in the space industry is unique?
2: Well, you know, the the classic phrase is space is hard and and it really is. It takes longer, costs more, and programs are more complex than in most other fields. Uh, You need perseverance, but you also, again, need flexibility. You need to keep the big picture in mind at all times. And I think a great example of this is Richard Branson, who back in 2004 founded Virgin Galactic. Now Virgin Galactic was originally founded essentially be a passenger uh, you know, tourism, kind of a space tourism kind of a company. And it's still working on that. They're getting very close to starting to launch their passengers this year. But the other thing that happened was he started seeing the evolution of small sats and networks that are gonna be providing new services using smaller satellites in low earth orbit. And he came up with the idea for uh, you know, Virgin Orbit which is you know, completely different than the model for Virgin Galactic. And then beyond all that, as the financial markets evolved, he actually got you know, investors to invest in the SPAC and take, uh, take Virgin uh, Galactic and, and orbit uh, public in a way that nobody had done before. Again, he's a, he's a visionary leader, but he also adjusts to the times and to the market and to the opportunities that are out there. Uh, space is also global, and it's, it's, it's something where governments have outsized importance, both as a customer and a regulator. Nothing ever leaves the earth without a government license. And so you cannot only be concerned with your technology or your investors, the government gets a vote and it's often a very big one, especially if it's a government program.
0: Frank, especially now with the, the pandemic that's been going on, you know, there's there's definitely been voices out there talking about the importance of focusing on our country and on our home planet. You know, why is it important that we continue to explore space? with all the other challenges that are facing our nation. Could, could you talk about what your sense is on why it still is a priority for the United States in at this point in time?
2: I guess I'd observe that our nation's always faced challenges at home and abroad. Yet we've had space successes to help show us what we can achieve as a nation when we work together. In 1968, when I was a kid, literally, uh, Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy were assassinated. We had about a half million troops in Vietnam and we had cities all across the country engulfed in flames by racial unrest. Yet the Apollo 8 mission at Christmas time that year with its iconic Earthrise imagery showed how truly alone we were in the universe and also showed how much we could accomplish as a nation if we worked together. At that time also you had pollution pretty much unchecked around the country. There were literally rivers, including one that runs through Cleveland, Ohio that would periodically catch fire from the industrial waste they were dumped into them. And yet, you know, I think part of the Earthrise effect, and you'd see this in the environmental movement at the time, it was used, I, I, the iconic photo of the Earth was used widely at the time. We started getting things cleaned up. And soon you have the EPA established, the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act were all enacted in the law. That was facilitated by that space success. And I think it's really kind of still in place today in terms of people understanding that we're on one planet together and we're having a big impact on it. Similarly, the space shuttle, it was built during a time of rampant stagflation and launched during a significant recession in 1981. And the ISS was under construction when 9-11 happened. And, and all of these space accomplishments later provided tremendous inspiration and national uplift. And we think back to that time, You know, obviously we know about those tragedies that happened, but we also recognize that you know, we did some great things and we had some great things together. Even in this divisively partisan time in Congress and, and the White House, space remains one of the few areas with bipartisan support in in both the Congress and the administration. NASA's goal of returning to the moon has been endorsed by the Biden administration, and the SLS and Orion programs were largely created when the now NASA Administrator, Nelson, was in charge of NASA Authorization uh, Committee, the committee in Congress that basically tells NASA what they can do. So this bipartisan continuity is essential to success, and I also think it shows we can work together as a nation politically as well. And then last but not least, I, gave, I, I just observed, that I think space achievements inspire our nation and the world and could be a source of soft power internationally. If you look at polls from back in the 1960s, um, I, there there was no time at which the Apollo moon landing had a majority of people supporting it until after it happened. And then approval went from somewhere in the 40s to well over 70, 80%. And it was because this tremendous achievement, a lot of people quite honestly hadn't paid attention once they realized, what we'd actually accomplished and done, support was tremendous. And, and people now, of course, it's an iconic uh, iconic image of, the, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary about two years ago, uh, you know, of, of American achievement and uh, of, of bringing people together to do great things. And I think that's, that's something we need to remember. Even in trying times, uh, we can work together and do great things.
1: So Frank, to do these great things, we obviously need people. And we need to bring, you know, the new generations into these projects. What advice do you have for young people entering the space field?
2: First thing I'd observe is that they're incredibly lucky. There's more space activities and programs and developments underway now than probably the 1960s and and maybe even more than that uh, in some respects, because they're more broadly based. It's not just NASA and the civil space program. It's also commercial space and also national security space. So they have a lot of areas uh, to get involved in space to choose from. I also am really encouraged that there's a consensus behind exploration that's lasted through two very different administrations and a Congress that, where both houses have changed control. And that bodes well for the future. That is something that uh, we really need for exploration because these programs are so incredibly challenging and long lasting. We really need to have a consensus behind it. You got to look carefully where you want your career to go. but You also need to remember it's not all about launch. Rockets are exciting and important and admittedly that's where my career began. But I think if you look at the totality of space activities, uh, the rocket is really not the the primary or most important part of it. It's really the systems that you need to be able to live and work in space, designing satellites, construction of uh, networks, Uh, science missions and commercial in-space efforts like those at NanoRacks and Made in Space, those are all essential to doing exploration. And last thing I'd observe, and this is probably reflective of my career, I'd say being geographically flexible is important, especially when you're first starting out and don't have a family that you need to worry about moving around kind of a thing and disrupting their lives as well. It's a great way to get to know the country, different parts of our industry as well.
1: So I now would like to ask you, who inspired you in your life? Who mentored you?
2: So the the, the one who really inspired me was actually Werner von Braun. And this was back at a time where some of the more checkered elements of his past uh, working for the Germans during World War II was not well known. But uh, he was a, uh, a very articulate advocate on behalf of space on, on the television and, you know, in media a lot that you would see him a lot. And uh, he was also an engineer, so he was technically very smart. And he also wasn't an astronaut. It's it's funny, a lot of people think you get started in this business by wanting to become an astronaut. You're a kid. I never wanted to be an astronaut. And actually my vision was so bad that I, I, I knew I never could have qualified back then. So the fact that this guy was uh, both technically brilliant and, and hoping to lead a team that, that built the Saturn V and the fact that he was also articulate and able to succeed politically and in public relations, I think those were all things that were uh, inspirational to me. Um, the, the the I guess it's specific mentors I can't identify, there's multiple. There, I've had multiple mentors along the way during my career, and uh, they made a real difference to me at different elements of what I was doing. And it's something I always try to pay back uh, with other young professionals. You know, we really have, need to pay things forward. None of us got here by ourselves, just, you know, sui, sui generis and perfect, uh, perfectly formed. You learn, you grow, you develop, and people hopefully help you along the way. And that helps them succeed as well as helps you succeed in the process.
0: What is most important to you that your legacy is that you'd like to be known for?
2: Gosh, it almost sounds like you're doing a obituary, but, um, I guess a couple of things, you know, first of all, I got to say for my family, I've got two terrific kids. Um, I remember a quote from Avery Brooks who played the uh, commander of the space station in deep space nine. He did an interview once that always stuck with me that, uh, they asked him what he thought his most important role was, and he said, being a father. He said, because when you're a father, you're parents to children, who will be in, in turn parents to children, and it will go on throughout generations. The impact you have there will literally impact people directly for generations. And that's, uh, that I always thought was very important and why parenthood is, uh, is really their job number one. Beyond that, I'd say, you know, the ISS, I was part of the team that, that helped bring it into fruition. I, you know, Back when it was really being challenged in Washington, Uh, I was part of an industry advocacy organization uh, called the Space Station Associates that really kept it going, even when it was challenged. And I remember we had some votes where we barely made it through by one vote on the House floor uh, and in the appropriations committees. Uh, So I really feel great every time I see the ISS in the sky that uh, I was part of helping make that happen. Uh, And that kind of applies broadly for my advocacy for NASA funding. Uh, You know, when I was at AIA, uh, we we helped form something called the Coalition for Aerospace and Science, which really took a took an objective of trying to, this was back in about 19, 2015, took the objective to try to restore NASA funding, adjusted for inflation, at least back to where it was during the time when H.W. Bush and, and Bill Clinton were president. And if you looked at the math at the time, I think the NASA budget was like about $16 billion. Uh, doing the inflation correction would come out to be about $24 billion. Well, guess what? we're getting to that level this year. And it's it's astonishing to me that uh, it took that long to get there, but the fact that we're getting there now, and there seems to be support for going even higher uh, to make these programs happen. The president's requesting about a 6% increase in the NASA budget. And I'm hopeful that uh, we can see even a little bit more money beyond that when we get through the congressional process. And then last but not least, uh, space exploration generally. I mean, the fact that I was in some small way uh, involved in helping it happen. It literally is the work of generations. And I hope I can establish CDSE as an organization that's gonna endure and become a powerful advocate going on with long be past my time as leadership there.
0: Thanks okay. for sharing that with us. And I think that wraps up our questions. But we wanna thank you for joining us today on the Deep Space Podcast for this Leadership in Space series.
1: Thank you, Frank, for your insight into our audience. Thank you for joining us on the Deep Space Podcast.